Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. First Kings chapter 17 beginning in verse 1 and Elijah the Tishbite who was of the inhabitants of Gilead said unto Ahab as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand there shall not be dew nor rain these uh, these years but according to my word and the word of the Lord came unto him saying get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. I want you to notice especially verse 7 in the phrase, the brook dried up. I wish I had time to really go into detail regarding the first six verses and especially the verse where we see the word there. Some of you might remember on more than one occasion, actually, I preached a message from that one word there. It was there where God wanted him to be. It was there where he was. It was there where God supplied his needs. There's a great message in that. And the only reason I mention it is because I want you to understand that although Elijah was where he should have been, he had a serious problem. In other words, he is in the will of God and a difficult situation at the same time. That shows us that good people can have bad problems. So with that being said, I want you to focus in on the fact that now here in verse 7 we read that the brook dried up. That tells me this, the title of the message this morning is Learning to Live with Loss. Learning to Live with Loss, and I'll be the first to admit that's not easy. Our sinful nature desires more and more, and it despises the thought of loss. That, consequently, leads to disappointment and and if we're going to endure in this life and enjoy this life, we have to learn to live with loss. And this story helps us. There are three things that stand out in regards to this story that I want you to notice that will help you to learn how to live with loss. First of all, in the first six verses, we see here the place that God ordained. It was not left up to Elijah where he wanted to go. Elijah didn't flip a coin. Elijah didn't inquire of his neighbors. 
Elijah didn't look back to the tradition of his family and decide that he wanted to go here or wanted to go there, but rather every step was directed by the Lord as to where he was to live. And so we can say this is the place that God ordained. He is exactly where he should have been in the very place that God told him to be. And listen, folks, if you're not there in that place, the center of God's will, then you're in trouble. And even if you are there, you can find yourself in trouble because life is not going to be easy for any of us. Man that's born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's as true of the saints as it is of the sinners. This world is not our home. We're just passing through, and it's going to be difficult. So we see here immediately the, the, the place that God has ordained and the man that is in that place. But now we come to verse 7, and we see the problem that God orchestrated. The problem that God orchestrated, and many, of course, make the mistake of attributing their loss to the natural order of things without any consideration of God. I probably shouldn't tell this, but I will anyway. Uh, Bev and Kathy were having a conversation the other day. This was just before the biopsy and not knowing whether she had uh, cancer or not, and so you know, all kinds of thoughts run through your mind. And, of course, Mom was encouraging her that, you know, trust in the Lord and He's going to take care of it. And Kathy made the comment. She said, yeah, but people die every day trusting in the Lord. <laughs> and so if you're going to die, that's the way to do it. Amen? But, but it, it made such a good point that we all tend to think that way at different times in our life. Something will happen or there will be some situation that we find ourselves in. And, I, you know, our heart tells us that we know that we ought to trust God, depend upon Him, and don't worry about it. And yet we know that just in the natural order of things, things happen to good people, bad people alike. And so we don't always know the outcome of a biopsy. We don't always know the outcome of a situation. But we should always take into consideration God. In other words, in the mind of some people, things, well, they just happen and they leave God entirely out of the picture. Notice it says the brook dried up. Because there had been no rain. Well, that's the natural order of things, somebody might say. There'd been no rain. Naturally, the brook is going to dry up. But the question is, why had there been no rain? Why had there been no rain? Boy, that is a whole nother message. But verse 1 explains, at least in part, it says, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now this is Elijah speaking, but keep in mind that he is acting as an instrument of God, that God has told him this, that God is using him, and all of this is reminding us that it's God who was in control. It's God who's working through the prophet. It's God working out according to His plan. In other words, the lack of rain was the secondary cause. The primary cause was what? Because God thought it was best. 
the brook dried up. Not just because there wasn't any rain, but because God predetermined that there's not going to be any rain during this time and that'll cause the brook to dry up. And and it might be for various reasons that God would do something like that. It might be corrective. Many times trouble comes into our life and God uses that as a means of correcting us. It might be preventive. It could be a number of other different reasons why God would allow difficult times to come into our life and allow us to suffer loss of some kind. When the brook dries up, there's no water. That is a loss because your life depends upon water. And so here we find that the main reason is that God is orchestrating this problem. That's really all of the explanation that we should that we should need, just to know that it is God working all of this out. And if we're wise, we will expect problems. You know, it's just absolute sheer folly for any of us to imagine that we ought to be able to live our life problem free. Because we cannot escape problems in life. And so just as the brook dried up so many times in our life, it might be that that our time, our health, our strength, our opportunities, or whatever it is, that each day that we have to learn to live with less of something, and, the, and those problems are the price that we pay for the privilege of living. Think about it, the privilege of living on this earth, and yet it's living on this earth that subjects us to these difficult things. The brook dried up. For some of you, it's time is drying up. Opportunities are drying up. Your energy is drying up. Uh, numerous other things. And there are those unexpected losses. Now, Many of those things happen just as the natural order of things as, you know, as you get older and changes take place, but other times all of a sudden it comes as a shocking experience. You know what I mean. Here you're going along just fine. But notice he says, after a while. After a while. Might be a week. It could be a month. It could be a year, but... After a while, the brook dried up. In other words, all of a sudden you find yourself encountering some loss. In other words, you're faced now with a lack. You love God, you're in the will of God, and yet you are lacking something. Just as He lacked water, you're lacking something. Something is lost. And it could be in regards to several things, as I mentioned. Keep in mind that this entire problem is being orchestrated by God. It's not out of control. It's God that is allowing you or appointing you to be put in a situation like that. The flesh doesn't like it. Our human nature resents it. But nevertheless, it is an all-wise, ever-loving God who is orchestrating this entire problem in our life. Now notice in verse 8 and 9, we see the plan that God ordered. In verse number 8, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, Get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zion, and there and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman 
there to sustain thee. Now, before I look at the details of this, I want to remind you of something that you should never forget, and that's this, that while the events of life might appear to be haphazard, unconnected, without any rhyme or reason, they're actually all according to the plan of an all-wise, ever-loving God. As Paul said, he said, who worketh all things according to the counsel of his own will. I mean, do you really believe that? That's what the Bible says. But do you really believe that, that God is working all things according to the counsel of his own will? It's easy to believe that when you just got a raise at work. It's easy to believe that whenever you know, you, you've just had a, a healthy child born into this world, you've had some blessing that you've experienced. It's easy to believe it then. But we need to learn to believe it even when the house is burned down, when the house is flooded, when a loved one dies, when we have suffered some other loss in some other way. We need to understand that it's not just haphazard accidents that cause this. But in some way or another, God working behind the scenes has ordered this plan. The whole point is that whenever God allowed the brook to be dried up, He wants Elijah to know, I'm still in control. I'm the one that put water in the brook. I'm the one that allowed the water to dry up. Don't you panic because he says, I've still got a plan for you. It's time to move, time to leave this place. Now remember, the ravens have been feeding him there. While other people are starving, the ravens, isn't that an amazing story? Twice today. The ravens come, bread and flesh. See, that's why y'all have meat every meal. Amen. Bread and flesh. I mean, two times a day, here they come, right on time. Time to eat. And they have special delivery right there. God's taking care of him. But now the brook's dried up. And I want you to notice he did not pack up and leave as soon as the brook dried up. Everything, notice, he is, he is allowing God to direct every step that he takes. It would have been easy to say, man, I've been watching and day after day, that water's going down, it's getting low, it's just a trickle. You know, it's time for me to move from this place. He's still there. The brook dried up, but he's still there. He's still there because God said, I'll have the ravens to feed you there. And I believe with all of my heart, had he been anywhere else, he would have starved to death. When God said, I'll have the ravens to feed thee there, that's the only place that he could survive. And I'm totally convinced the only place that we can experience the blessings of God and survive is to be where God wants us to be. That, that's, look, that's not just important for preachers. I, I've often said, you know, I remember years ago when Gilbert Wood called me and he called and said, well, the, well, the, the church has voted to call you as our pastor. Uh, would you come? And I said, no. He said, really? I said, no. I said, I just, I'm not convinced that the Lord wants me to come. And he said, well, will you pray about it? Well, what in the world do you say when somebody says, will you pray about it? I was tempted to say, no, no need me praying about it, but I want to sound really spiritual. So yeah, I'll pray about it. By that evening, he said, I'm going to call back tonight. 
I said, okay, you can call back if you want to, but I really don't think I'm going to change my mind. Well, he called back, and between the, the call that morning and the call that night, God really spoke to my heart that it's, it's time to go. It's time to go. I called you here, and now I'm calling you to leave. And so the, the there for me is right here. And, and look, the church fully expected, and rightly so, that since we have called you as our pastor, since you have acknowledged that God is in this, that God is leading you, we expect you to load up your stuff, leave your friends, leave a big bunch of your furniture just out there in the yard and tell the neighbors, here, take it. We don't have room to haul anymore and we're not coming back. Just take it. Move off and just leave all of that stuff and move across the country and roll your kids in a new school. And the church, rightly so, expected my wife to be on board with that and my kids to be on board with that. And we did. And we should have. But I'm telling you folks, listen... That's why it's so very important that you understand the importance of being in the church where God wants you to be. It's just as important for you as it is for me and for my family or Brother Kenneth and Shelley and their family. It's just as important to be there where God wants you to be and to stay there regardless of what happens unless and until God says it's time to go. Well, the brook is dried up. That old preacher is still there. He hasn't moved. But God comes along and says, okay, change of plans. At least it's a change for you. God had known about it all of the time. It wasn't he wasn't changing anything. Just another, another step, phase two of the plan. Now, it's time for you to leave. In other words, God's working all things according to His will. And there are four things about this. Notice here in verse number 8 and 9 as He lays the plan out for him. It says in verse 9, Arise and get thee to Zarephath. He didn't say just leave here and go somewhere. God had a destination in view, so there was a path to follow. That enlightened him. In other words, he was deprived of something in one place, but now he's directed to, to another place somewhere where, that he was going to be needed. So there's a path to follow. There's a promise to claim. He said, God, a widow woman there to sustain thee. That promise to claim encouraged him. And then there was a power to depend upon. Notice he says... In verse 9, I have commanded. I have commanded. And boy, whenever God speaks, that's the same voice that created the world. When God stepped out on nothing, when, and when there was nothing, and God spoke and the worlds were framed, and all of a sudden the entire universe comes into existence, and God says, I have commanded. Because when God said, you know, there's a widow there that's going to take care of you, you don't have anything to worry about, well, naturally you'd be concerned, but when God said, I have commanded, this is a power to depend upon. In other words, it enabled him. It enabled He knew he didn't have to depend upon it. He didn't have to depend upon himself, that is. He didn't have to worry about going there. Well, what if this widow is broke? 
you know, what if she doesn't have anything? Interesting story. You ought to read the rest of the chapter, by the way. But then there was a purpose to accomplish because, and this this is the thing that elected him, as it were, or enthused him, emboldened him to take that step, to leave where he was, and to go where God wanted him to be. Because God had a purpose, and that purpose went beyond just his concern for Elijah. There's a widow woman there, a widow woman and her boy. And by the way, they are near starvation. He didn't say, look, don't worry about it. There's a Denny's located down there, and when you get there, you can order whatever you want. No, there's a widow woman down there. And uh, so he takes off. The whole point is here that the prophet of his of his problem because in his mind this is a problem the brook is dried up i've suffered this loss i don't know what i'm going to do and in god's mind this is just a part of the program a part of the plan because i need for you to move from here to there because i have a work for you to do there's a need there that that i'm going to use you and sometimes our loss leads to great Gain. In other words, sometimes less can be more. Remember when Paul said, for when I am weak, then am I strong? Amen. Let me tell you this, you're never stronger than when, you, than when you are so weak that it causes you to see your need of God. That's the strongest time of your life. And sometimes God puts us in these unpleasant places but he does it in order to prepare us to be used for his glory and the good of someone else. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. That must have been a, uh, an awful experience in one way because here he is raised in the lap of luxury. I mean, Pharaoh is his grandpa, so to speak. I mean, in, in, you know, in everybody's mind, they, they, they thought that's what it was. Educated in the finest universities. He has access to all of the wealth and the power and the everything in Egypt. And all of a sudden, you know, he traded all of that away. And he ended up on the backside of the desert for 40 years. One third of his life lived there. And yet that time spent there was the time of preparation to use him to get the nation out of Egypt and into the promised land. I think of David and all the time that David spent there with sheep. Let me tell you, that might look glamorous, but if you know anything about sheep, you know that that wasn't you know, all fun and excitement for a young boy to go out there and to tend to those sheep every single day to take care of them. And yet David spent a good part of his life doing just that. I think about John the Baptist. Where was he in the wilderness? He was out in the wilderness. He wasn't, you know, in the cathedrals. He wasn't in the big tabernacles and the temples and lined with gold and the teeming with the multitudes of people hanging on his every word. Oh, no, he's out there in the wilderness. Why? Because God is going to use him to introduce the Lamb of God 
into this world. I think about Paul from the very, right at the very beginning when he is so excited and wanting to get started in the ministry. And where does he end up? Out there in the Arabian desert of all places. And then there's John the Apostle, the beloved. Oh, what a, what a tender-hearted, wonderful man he became. And yet, he's exiled to the Isle of Patmos. I mean, you would think everything is over. His life is finished. That he's got to spend the rest of his days living in misery. That he's lost everything. And yet, it was there on the Isle of Patmos that God opened up the heavens and God revealed to him all of those great things written there in the book of Revelation. You see, whatever loss you suffer, whatever problem you're going through, whatever difficulty that you're facing in your life, it's all in some way that I can't explain, that I can't understand. I just know it's true that it's all a part of a plan that God is orchestrating and the purpose that God is working out according to the counsel of His will. Sometimes a day alone in a certain situation, in a great difficulty, can help us and teach us more than years spent in a college or a university. Just being there. We, oh, we don't want to be there in the emergency room of the hospital, or seated in the funeral home where we've just lost a loved one, we'd rather be anywhere on earth than to be exposed to pain like that. And yet, just being there for that day, suffering through that loss, can be one of the most profitable things of our life. You know, we talk about the consequences of disobedience, and we better think about that. But there are, there's also a cost of obedience. Elijah is where God wanted him to be. But in this, at the same time, he's suffering the loss of something. The brook is dried up. There's no more water. And he's sitting there. The water is gone. The brook is dried up. What's he going to do? Well, thank God the Lord himself leaped into Action, And let me tell you, sooner or later, in some way or another, let me tell you, your brook is going to, to dry up. One way or another. And you, some of you, in fact, might be, might be living by a dry brook right now. It might have already happened in your life. Your brook is already dried up. And it's a scary situation. It's a time of testing. And maybe you're going through a famine of faith. Your faith is lacking and you're wondering, what in the world am I going to do? Will I ever laugh again? Is my life over? What is it that is dried up in your life? Well, it might have to do with your age. Think about that. I mean, every day as the clock ticks, as the calendar, the days you count them off and you have less time than you did the day before. And some folks have a real difficult time in dealing with this thing that we call age because, you know, as it goes on, our life gets shorter and shorter. Uh, we're losing the life, as it were, the time that we have on earth. But it not, might not be age that's drying up, that's troubling you. It might be health. 
Let me tell you, your health can, can be gone in a moment of a time at any age. Usually when we think about getting old, we think about, oh, well, I'm getting old now. I've got arthritis and rheumatism and this and that and everything else. And, I, boy, I, you know, we say getting old ain't for sissies. I mean, you've got to be tough to get old, and there's some truth to that. But let me tell you, it can happen, the loss of health can happen to anyone at any time in life. It might be a child that's smitten with cancer. It can be it can be numerous other things and your poor health can afflict you and torment you and, and mark it down. For some of you you're going to have to deal with that. You might not have to deal with it as a young person, but sooner or later you've got to deal with that suffering the loss of your health. It might be the loss of might be the loss of your finances. They've just dried up. You worked hard all of your life. There are people like that. People that worked hard. They got up early. They worked hard all day. They were good, decent people and tried their best, you know, to have a little nest egg and to save a little money. And through no fault of their own, something happened. And all of a sudden, the brook dried up. All of the money's gone out of the bank and they're scratching their head wondering what in the world am I going to do and they are forced to live with that loss it might be that it has to do with your influence the brook has dried up in the sense that you have lost your influence over over someone for parents it might be you lost your influence over your children Boy, I've, I've heard parents say, I'll tell you one thing, as long as they live in my house, they're going to do what I say. They're going to obey my rules. Yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah. I, I know you mean well, but believe me, they can move out anytime they want to. Anytime they want to. They can just pack up and, uh, well, what do you do? They get 14 years old and all of a sudden you wake up one morning and one of your kids is gone. You don't know where. They're just gone. You call the police. They don't know where. And you find out later they just didn't want to live there anymore. They wanted to be out in the world and go the way of the world, and they did. And it's a, it's a horrible experience whenever you lose your influence over your children you suffer that loss it's easy whenever they're little and boy all it took from mom was just that look all of the kids knew what that look was and she would look at them and immediately they got the message and they'd straighten up a lot of influence in just the look the glance of a mother and especially with her eyes it was a lot of lot of influence and then of course there's dad and the sternness of a dad and the influence that he has that look you know i told you once i'm not going to tell you again and you will get a spanking if, if you do that again influence wow but sometimes the brook dries up to where later on you're sitting there with tears in your eyes and you're begging and you're pleading. It's not just their obedience that you want. You're trying to spare them from disaster. You're trying to get them to see that they're on the wrong road. They're ruining their life. They're making themselves miserable and you don't have enough influence to even turn your own kid around and get them back on the right track. 
It might be loss in the sense of a relationship. Husband and a wife, other relationships, but some way or another that relationship just, well, it just starts coming apart, unraveled, just, you know, one stitch at a time until it falls apart. I want this to be as personal as it can with you this morning because I have no idea what loss that you might have suffered. I have no idea what loss is headed your way. I I just know that it's going to happen in some way or another. You're going to encounter a loss in your life. And we've got to learn how to live with those losses in our life because we can't stop them. You can, you can curl up in a corner with, and suck your thumb, uh, you know, in a fetal position like a little baby and complain about the world's not treating you right and, and all of that, but that's not going to help. It's not going to help one little bit get you out of your situation. We've got to learn to live with losses that we suffer. The brook has dried up, but he's still there, and he stays there until God speaks and says, okay, okay, time for action. And now he moves, but he moves at the command of the Lord, and God moves him from that difficult situation, stay with me and I'm through, to another difficult situation. Because whenever you... Whenever you read the rest of the story, he leaves and he, he goes to Zarephath, exactly where God told him to be. And when he gets there, sure enough, there's, well, there's that widow woman. I guess everything's going to be all right. Verse 10, but she's gathering sticks. And he called her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in the vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called her and said, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth. I have not a cake, but just a little handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Let me tell you, some preachers would have said, oops, I must not have heard God right. Oops, I must be in the wrong place. If that's all you've got, then I'm just going to move on. There must be another widow somewhere, you know. I'm moving on. This woman's planning on dying. He goes from one difficult situation into another difficult situation. And God does that because God knows that there's a woman and a boy there that has a great need. And he says, I want you to go there. And in some way or another, he said, she's going to take care of you so that you can ultimately take care of her and if you've read the story you know that that her son was later raised from the dead amen and think about what god has done let me let me sum this up if it wasn't for listen carefully and i'm through i promise if it wasn't for some agonizing affliction some troublesome trial some painful problem some people would be unsympathetic, judgmental jerks Amen. without any empathy toward others and useless to the kingdom of God. Right. It's real easy for us to look at somebody else and be so judgmental until, 
until we find ourselves where they are. And then we start looking at everything in a different light. So rather than curse your trials, you be thankful that God is in control, that God's going to use those, those trials just like a tool in His hand. And, and He's going to, as a result of that, make you a vessel that is fit for the Master's use. That's what it's all about. God's moving him there because I got a work for you to do. You know, God didn't tell him all about it. He said, go there. She's going to take care of you. But God knew there's a woman and a boy there that need you. Have you ever thought about how much might depend upon your attitude toward your losses, toward your difficulties? God help us to remember the next time that we're tempted to be unsympathetic and judgmental of others, God help us to realize how undeserving we are. Somebody's unkind to you. They've been unfair. Listen, were we? No. Were you nailed to a cross and just left there to die and rot out in the hot sun? It would be less than what you actually deserve. Same is true of me and every other person. We keep complaining, oh, life is so, so unfair. It wasn't right what they did to me. No, it wasn't. But let me tell you, if you got what you deserved, if I got what I deserved, we'd spend eternity in a devil's hell. We don't deserve anything whatsoever. And you will never be content in life until you get it out of your head that you deserve a better life, that you deserve this or that or the other. I oh, I know we all complain because people are unfair. People are unthoughtful. People are cruel and unkind. That, that's true. But even then, it's really less than what we deserve. God help us to be mindful of that fact that when Jesus suffered and bled and died on that cross, He was paying our sin debt. That's what we deserve. And He took all of that upon Him. He suffered that great loss. Not just the loss of physical life, but the loss of the fellowship with His Father for the first time in eternity that he suffered for us what we would have suffered had we gone to hell forever and ever. As long as you're here, your old fleshly nature is going to resent loss. Going to despise it. It's just not fair. Not fair. We look at others and their houses and lands and all of the stuff they get. We think, wow, just so unfair because I love God more than they do. No, let me tell you, it's not about being fair. Whatever it is you're going through, listen, like the old saying, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. But he does better than that. He not only brings you through it, when he gets you through it, he turns around and uses that experience for somebody's good and for His glory. Right? And because He does, rather than complaining about our trials, we ought to say, Lord, I don't understand it, but amen. You did what was right. You did what was right. I accept that without complaint. Use it that you'll be glorified. Let's stand. Father,
How we thank you, Lord, for the lessons that we learn out of your precious word, for the way that the way that a certain verse or a certain word or a certain story just well just kind of grabs us by the throat and won't let go and and shakes us to the very core of our being and reminds us of of our faults and reminds us of our needs and reminds us of our purpose and reminds us of the greatness of your plan and your power. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you'll help each and every one of us that we'll be victorious as we go through these struggles, as, as, as we incur various losses in our life. We'll get to the point that the flesh says, just wring your hands and worry and give up. Help us, Heavenly Father, remember what you've done and what you've promised to do and the greatness of your power that in the end some good might come out of it. For we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. While we stand and sing together, if God's maybe speaking to your heart, certainly if you're here and not saved, would you come? I'll never forget in Tennessee many years ago while we were living there and I was pastoring. I was talking to someone about a, a particular person or family, whatever it was, and, and they made a statement I'd never heard before. They said, well, he's one of those trunk Baptists. I said, what? What is a trunk Baptist? He said he's one of those that whenever he leaves a church, he requests from the, from the pastor and the clerk a copy of his letter. And he just puts it in his trunk with the rest of his stuff. And wherever he goes, that he just leaves it there and never moves his letter to another church. Well, in the first place, we don't grant letters to individuals. We grant letters to churches. But it makes a good point. What would you have thought about Elijah if the Lord, whenever the Lord said, "Look, I want you to go. I want you to go to Cherith down there, and uh, and I know there's no restaurants or anything, but I'm going to send ravens down there to feed you." What, what would you have thought later on, whenever he said, "Okay, it's time to leave here. I want you to go to Zarephath," and he 
And if Elijah just maybe said to himself, you know, I can't believe I'm hearing this. Maybe I haven't got this right. Maybe I ought to, you know, get the advice of others. But I mean, day after day after day, week after week, month after month, and he's still sitting there. And a friend comes by maybe and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? I thought you told me God told you to go there. Well, I'm still thinking about it. I plan on someday, I'm just waiting on the Lord. He would have put himself, exposed himself to great danger. And it scares me for some folks. If you don't know where God wants you to be, it's time you found out. You better find it. Get on your knees and you pray until the light breaks through and God makes it clear. Look, and if it's not here, get out of here and get where He wants you to be. I'll never forget years ago, I made that statement after the church. One of our good families walked out the door and said, Well, you preached us out of church. We're leaving. Thank God when they left, they left to go start another church. That, that was the intent. But be, be, for your own sake, be where God wants you to be because, you know, like the old time saying, you know, about sitting down front, said to get down front, you know, you want to be under the spout where the glory comes out. Well, you, your life needs to be under the spout where God's glory comes out, where you can get all of those blessings because God wants what's best for you. He's not working against you. He's working for you. Well, thank you so much for everything today, your kindness, and and uh, just pray that, you know, e- even though maybe somebody didn't respond yet, they'll go home, and it might be they're going through some real difficult time in their life, the loss of their health, the loss of a loved one, or some other loss. Just understand that it didn't just happen. It didn't just happen. That God is a plan, and God can use that in a wonderful way. Stephen Smith, would you close our service in prayer? Lord, we just thank you.